Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Tim Reynolds with Bible Truth for Living. Thank you for listening today to the program. We'll be in Ezra chapter 7 in just a moment, but I want to make an announcement about an exciting Sunday we have coming up on March the 24th at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. We're calling it the Countdown to the Great North American Solar Eclipse. It will be Sunday, March 24th at 10 a.m. at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. We're located at 817 Woodland Drive here in Mount Vernon. Our guest speaker will be Brother Dave Napier. Dave is with the Institute for Creation Research, and uh, he's going to be telling us more about the upcoming solar eclipse that will take place in April. And uh, we're excited about it. You know, you're going to start hearing a lot more information about this as we get closer to the eclipse. And what makes what makes it interesting, at least to me, is that uh, number one, we in Southern Illinois are in the path of totality, which means we're going to experience that total solar eclipse. And then we're in a unique place where the last eclipse that took place in 2017, it will mark a perfect X right in our spot here in Southern Illinois. And uh, so that's interesting. And so we're going to be talking about this. And Brother Dave has done a lot of research regarding uh, creation and astronomy. We know that God uses signs in the heavens, uh, whether this is a prophetic sign regarding the return of the Lord. uh, Only time will tell. We have no idea. You just can't uh, put any Bible to that necessarily. But we do know God uses these things. God operates the solar system uh, in perfect order. And so we're excited to be uh, having this special Sunday again, uh, Mark your calendar Sunday, March 24th, 10 a.m. at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. For more information, you can check out our website at mountvernonbaptisttemple.com. Today's message is titled, How to Prepare for Another Presidential Election. You know, it's getting close to that time again, and uh, I want to uh, look at how we as both Christians and American citizens are to approach uh, any election, and especially in a presidential election year. But let's read from Ezra chapter 7, beginning with verse 6. The Bible says, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his request according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel, and of the priests, and of the Levites, and of the singers, and the porters, and the Nethanims, unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he, that is Ezra, to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments." U.S. President Rutherford B. Hayes signed the first recognition of President's Day into law in 1879. This past week, we have celebrated the 145th President's Day in America. Now, it's become routine for the president to leave an envelope with a personal note for the president-elect to read when he takes office. This gives you a cute little story to begin with. This time, the president left three envelopes, and he left the instruction to only open them when there, there is great difficulty that arises in the incoming president's administration. Well, 
It wasn't long into the new president's term that an economic crisis arose. He opened envelope number one, and the note said, blame me. So he did. He he went before the media, and he blamed the former president for the economic crisis. Then a few more months go by, and a homeland, uh, homeland security crisis arises. Well, he decided, boy, I better open envelope number two and see what he says. And this note said, blame my party. So he did. President blamed the party of the former president, and uh, that's how he handled the homeland issue. And then uh, about halfway through his term, a third crisis, a foreign crisis arose. And he thought, boy, this is a time I better open that third envelope. And he opened that envelope and read the note, and it said, it's time to prepare three envelopes. So, you know, you can only blame somebody else uh, for so long for your problems, and it seems like our leaders tend to do that. They blame the previous administration, but I believe it was Harry Truman that said, the buck stops here, and then eventually you have to deal with something, and you can't blame everybody else. But, you know, we're we're ramping up into another election cycle, and uh, we begin to be inundated with uh, political primaries and all the promises, all the speeches, television ads, postcard mailings, yard signs, slogans, uh, bumper stickers, even text messages now regarding uh, trying to get the vote of the people. Now, you ask people, some people say, well, I want change in America. Some would say, I want more of the same. I think things ought to stay just like they are. And others just want it to be over with. No matter where you lie, I think that we as Christians and as American citizens need to know how to prepare for these next 10 months leading up to another election. You know, it will be 10 months of slander and media bias and political bantering back and forth before the November election. How do we deal with all of this as Christians and as citizens? I think four things we need to do. Number one, we should prepare our hearts. There in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, the Bible says Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord. Now, in this particular setting, it was Persian king Artaxerxes who had permitted Ezra and a group of Jewish people to uh, return to worship in Jerusalem. By the way, uh, Bible scholars believe that Artaxerxes was likely the son of Queen Esther. But the important thing here that I want to draw our attention to is the fact that Ezra prepared his heart for the Lord. Before he ever went before the people, before he ever began to lead them spiritually, he prepared his own heart. So how can you and I prepare our hearts when it comes to uh, an election cycle? Two ways to do it. Number one, uh, we should confess our own personal sins. Uh, famous verse, maybe you've heard this verse before, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, not not the devil's people, not the world's people, but God says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. We sort of want to jump over that. We want God to heal the land, but we don't want to deal with our own personal sins. Uh, it's sort of hypocritical to complain about the moral condition of our leaders, the moral condition of our nation, if God's people uh, are not willing to confess our own personal sins. To confess means to agree with God. It means to not uh, blame anybody else or not to make excuses, but confess. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe uh, we need to confess to God some things that we have in our own lives that we've not dealt with yet. Now, the good thing is the Bible promises that God will forgive us. 
1 John 1, 9 is for Christians. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first way to prepare our heart is to confess our own personal sins. And then secondly, to confess our national sins. Now, Daniel does this in Daniel chapter 9. Let me remind you that in your Bible, the books of the Bible are not all in chronological order. Uh, Daniel comes after Ezra in your Bible, but Daniel actually lived about 100 years before Ezra. But, uh, Daniel was part of the Babylonian captivity uh, that uh, took place. Ezra was after that. But Daniel here is going to pray, and I just want you to listen to part of his prayer. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3, Daniel says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer, supplications, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. He's not saying anybody else. He's saying, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, Uh, my confession to the Lord. And then he says in verse 5, we have sinned. Now, Daniel himself uh, was a was an upstanding guy. I mean, as a young man, he ended up in Babylon. You remember the story of Daniel and how he would not eat of the king's table, the the meat and drink they offered. And of course, uh, he went into the lion's den because he uh, prayed three times a day. But he doesn't exclude himself. He includes himself. He says, we have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. We have rebelled. Neither have we hearkened to thy servants, the prophets. He says, O Lord, unto us belongeth confusion of faith, because we have sinned against thee. Daniel doesn't just confess his own personal sins, but he says, now nationally, God, we have sinned against you. Now, I think that's true in America. Think about today. And, you know, there's a lot of national sins we could talk about. There's the sin of abortion, where we have allowed millions upon millions of innocent little babies to be murdered in the womb. That's a sin and a stain upon America. The sin of homosexuality and the LGBTQ movement, same-sex marriage, that's a sin that needs to be confessed nationally. I believe material is a sin in America where we have so much stuff and yet we're unthankful. We have all the cars and gadgets and televisions and all these things and yet we're unthankful. Uh, People uh, battle more depression and discouragement now than they ever have and yet we have all this stuff. Uh, removing God from our public institutions, such as our schools and and our our government institutions. Uh, These are things that need to be confessed nationally. And so the first thing we should do leading up to any election is prepare our hearts. Number two, we should pray for our leaders. Uh, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, I think we should pray both for our present leaders and for our potential leaders, those who may get elected and replace others. And uh, so we ought to pray for them. You know, the person in office may sin ignorantly, but we as Christians sin willingly when we disobey God's command to pray for those in authority. Now, here it is, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. So if you are under any type of authority, I think that includes not only our leaders in government, but also at work, even at home. You know, children should pray for their parents because the Lord has placed those parents in a position of authority. Whatever the position is, we are commanded to pray. And he says, here's why, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, the question is, what should we pray? When the Bible says pray for our leaders, well, I think, number one, we should pray for their salvation. 
Verse 4 of 1 Timothy 2 says, who will have all men to be saved. We should pray, more important than for the party or for anything else, we should pray for our leaders to be saved. Again, from the president on down, uh, you know, they may say that they're saved. We have no idea. We don't know the heart of humanity. But if they're not, we ought to say, Lord, save them, draw them to you, convict them of their sin and save their soul. And then number two, we should pray for their spiritual growth. The second part of verse four says, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, truth doesn't change with the presidency. Truth doesn't change with government policies or political parties. Truth is truth. And the foundation of truth, number one, is the word of God. Number two is Jesus Christ, which is the word of God, all right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so truth is unchanging. There is absolute truth. You know, we live in the world, in a world that says truth is relative. It's what you feel like it is, you know? Uh, if you feel like two plus two equals five, then that's okay. Well, that's crazy, uh, you know, I wish that would have been in place when I took algebra class. Maybe I would have <laughs> would have done better. But uh, whatever the case, truth is truth. It's in God's word. So we ought to pray for their salvation, for their spiritual growth. Number three, we should pray for their strength. Proverbs chapter 24, verses five and six refers to the strength of the leader. The Bible says, a wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel, thou shalt make thy war. And in multitude of counselors, there is safety. You know, often we forget the president and other leaders are surrounded by counselors. We ought to pray for the decision-making of the leader as well as the people he gets his information from, his counsel, his advice. And so if we pray for our leaders, their salvation, their spiritual growth, and their strength, we're doing the right thing to prepare for another election. So number one, prepare our hearts. Number two, pray for our leaders. Number three, participate in the process. How do we participate here in America? Well, we ought to participate with our voice. We have a constitution which says we have the freedom of speech, and unfortunately, that is eroding today. Uh, but we uh, live in a country where we can speak our voice, and I think we should do that. We have an obligation to do that. It is our responsibility not to give our opinion, not to say, here's how I feel about it, but thus saith the Lord. Here's what the truth is, because here's what the Bible says. We have a responsibility with our voice to share the gospel and to shine the light of truth upon a a world that is culturally going astray. Well, Jesus puts it like this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, ye, speaking of his followers, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savior, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye, believers, are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we ought to, with our voice, with our actions, with our behavior, be representing the gospel, the truth, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18, I want you to speak to the people. You're, you're my voice. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 5, Jeremiah says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, but behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. 
And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now, verse 11, he tells Jeremiah, now therefore go to speak. Speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. And so we have a responsibility as followers of Christ to use our voice to participate in the process. And then number two, we should participate in the process with our vote. People will say, well, my vote doesn't count for much. You know, I, uh, when I go to vote, it just doesn't really matter. Well, it does matter uh, because uh, think of it this way. A lot of our local elections sometimes are, are separated by five votes, ten votes. And so you're not only voting for the president when you go to vote, but you're voting for school board members and uh, city council and representatives, those sorts of things. And your vote does matter. Also, since the War of Independence in 1776, men and women have fought and bled and died for our freedom to vote. So we as citizens of America have a right and responsibility to vote. President John Quincy Adams said, duty is ours, the results are God's. We leave the results with him, but we ought to at least do our duty. Now, along with that, not only vote, but if you feel led, I say run for school board. We need Christians on school boards, city councils, representatives, and uh, I'm privileged to know several of these people that are in places, and I, I know that we have folks that are Christians. They're, they're strong believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in positions of leadership, and thank God for them. And if you feel God drawing you to uh, be in some sort of position like that to run for office, by all means do that, but participate in the process. So far, we've looked at three ways to prepare for another election. Number one, prepare our hearts. Number two, pray for our leaders. Number three, participate in the process. And then number four is put up with the results. Put up with the results. If things don't turn out the way you would like for them to, if the person isn't uh, voted in that you thought should have been, uh, you just put up with it. Now, I'm going to take us to Romans chapter 13. And uh, we're going to look at three things here in Romans chapter 13 uh, to close out the message. First of all, God consecrates all leaders. That means he ordains and allows them to be in positions of authority. Here's what the Bible tells us. Romans 13 verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Verse 4, for he, the person in leadership authority, is the minister of God. So God has allowed them to be there. Now, uh, let me remind you this, because people will say, well, what about, you know, as America? We, we, we had a revolution to start America. That was because of religious persecution. If it conflicts with God's law, God's law supersedes man's law, all right? Remember when Peter and John were told not to preach and they said, sorry, but we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, uh, you have to be willing to pay the price for that. Uh, Paul did that, Peter did that, and, and uh, they all suffered because of it. But they said, when it comes to the things of God, this takes preeminence. But other than that, 
we are we are called to uh, to obey and to submit to authority, whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not. Uh, the Bible never teaches revolution against any form of human government. And we'll talk more about government here in just a moment, but just let me help you again to understand it is God who allows them to be there. Even the most wicked leaders you can think of around the world, God's allowed them to be there. Don't ask me why. Uh, um, that's That's God's business. I do think this, that a nation gets the president it deserves, and that's not always a good thing, but God will give us the president, the leader that we deserve, and he always consecrates and ordains and allows leadership. Now, the second thing, God commands us then to honor our leaders. Verse 5 of Romans 13, wherefore you must need to be subject or submissive, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause, pay tribute, for they are also God's ministers. Verse 7, render therefore to uh, all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. First Peter 2 and verse 17 says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now here you have two apostles, Paul and Peter, and both are saying the same thing, honor the leaders, honor the leaders. And I want you to think about this. They were under the oppressive Roman government. They are writing this not in the freedom of, of America, but in the hostile nature of the Roman government. In fact, Roman Emperor Nero would have been in authority at this time. Nero had Paul's head cut off, and uh, he crucified the Apostle Peter upside down. And yet both of these guys make no mention of uh, going against the government. They say you honor that authority. You submit to that authority. The only exception is if the government was to say you can't go to church, you can't read your Bible, you can't pray, then, you know, you you uh, stand up against that. You know, they told Daniel that you can't pray. Well, Daniel prayed anyway. Now, he ended up in the lion's den and God uh, protected him. But uh, and you must be willing to, to understand that's part of it. But other than that, we always honor and submit to leadership. And then lastly, God controls the direction of all leaders. Proverbs 21 and verse 1 is a little difficult to understand unless you understand the nature of God. I'll read it to you. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So the question is, does that mean God forces decisions upon people, including leaders? And the answer is no. Decisions are made by man's free will. God will not, um, and he chooses to put this limit on himself, he will not trump the will of free will of man. All right, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God gave man a free will. He gave man a choice. Man made the wrong choice. We often do. So decisions are made by man's free will, but direction is is determined by God's sovereign will. Now, what's the difference in a decision and direction? Decision is a choice we make. Direction is a choice God makes. In other words, God knows how it's going to end up. I guess maybe here's a crude example. Uh, you tell your teenager, don't don't hang around that other uh, person you call a friend. They'll get you in trouble, all right? Well, let's say your child makes a bad decision, and they go ahead and hang out with that friend, and then they do get in trouble. Well, uh, the decision was made by the child, but the direction was seen by the parent. You know where this thing is going. And so God knows the direction things are going to end up, and God has the sovereignty to change that direction if he so chooses. 
But just understand God is on the throne. God controls everything. He knows exactly what's going on in America, in our politics, our government, and our families, and and every other situation. Now, I'll close with this. Since human government was established in Genesis chapter 9 following the flood, government has been flawed. There is no perfect government. They've all been tried. Everything from a representative republic, which is what we have, uh, uh, democracy, uh, socialism, communism, dictatorship, monarchies, they've all been tried. There is no perfect government. There is no perfect leader. There is no perfect political party, no perfect economic system. Why? Because sinners are flawed and sinners cannot properly govern sinners. There are not enough laws that could be written to cause man's behavior to be better, all right? So the the problem isn't government itself. The problem is we're all sinners, and without a change of heart, you can't control sinners. You can try to pass laws and rein them in, and you can discipline whenever people do things wrong, and that's what the, the uh, law enforcement is all about. But we will not have a perfect form of government until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, all right? Now, you've probably heard this term Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism basically teaches that man will bring God's kingdom to earth, that if we just get the right people in office and the right places in our society, that we can make this the kingdom of God on earth. Well, I don't believe the Bible teaches that, all right? There is no perfect... uh, political party or politician. Sometimes you have to just uh, swallow hard and take the, the lesser of two evils because you're, you're not voting for a perfect person. But uh, I believe the Bible teaches in uh, Christian gospelism. <laughs> what is that? Well, the Bible says, take the gospel to every creature all over the world. All right. That's the main responsibility. Sadly, many Christians are more willing to put a political sign in their yard and to talk politics before handing a gospel tract or telling somebody about Jesus. That is much more effective for changing the world than than putting out a political sign or saying, here's my favorite uh, politician. Uh, we're told to take the gospel and the kingdom of God will come when Jesus Christ returns to the earth and sets up his earthly kingdom. That's going to happen, uh, and it could be sooner than we think. So what should we do as Christians? We should do these three things. Prepare our hearts, pray for our leaders, participate in the process, and then put up with the results and make sure we're doing what we've been called to do. That is the Great Commission to take the gospel to every part of the world, telling people it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that is the Savior of the world and can change the human heart and human condition. All right? Thank you so much for listening. I pray the message was a help to you, and I look forward to being with you at our next appointed time. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, May God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Thank you for listening.